0: Before we start today's show, we have a special announcement. We are so excited to finally announce our next Fintech Insider After Dark. Naturally, this time it's got a bit of a 2020 twist. Uh, We've gone truly digital. So on August the 25th, we're hosting the edition of the event entirely online, Um, bringing the full After Dark experience straight to your laptop or phone or whatever screen you want to see it on. No matter where you are in the world, you can tune into this live recording of our podcast and mingle with us after the show if you really want to. Uh, So to find out more and grab your place, visit bit.ly forward slash digital after dark. That's bit.ly, digital after dark. Do check it out. Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. I'm Simon Taylor and in today's show we're going to be talking about the future of digital wealth and what are these new apps that are popping up Uh, we'll be looking at how these digital apps and share dealing apps have disrupted the market and what level of responsibility is really involved with having one of these apps and services that are so much easier to use and of course to do that we have some phenomenal guests i am super excited to invite yannick maling who is co-founder and ceo at public.com welcome to the show yannick can you tell us a little bit more about public
1: Hey, sure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, so public is what we call the social investing app. So basically, we've built a, a social experience around the stock market that allows you to um, you know, invest, but also post reasons why you invest, collaborate with other people, join chat groups, and, and really have sort of a more of a, a multiplayer kind of version experience of, um, of investing in the public markets.
0: I love the term multiplayer. It's so underused, um, and uh, really, really good to have you on the show. And of course, um, you're not alone. You're joined by the one and only Adam Dodds, who's making a, a return. Who your CEO and founder over at Free Trade. Uh, Adam, how are you, sir?
2: Hey, Simon. Good to see you again on Zoom. Uh, but yeah, it's great to be back on the Eleven FS
0: podcast. And remind everybody who lives under a rock who Free Trade is as well.
2: Uh, we're a UK London-based stockbroker uh, opening up investing in shares to a whole whackload of new people uh, about a quarter million customers here in uh in the uk now and uh and yeah that's what we do
0: and off to the races and finally making a fintech insider debut is uh, 11fs's own melissa stringer who's a product lead here welcome to the show mel good to have you on
3: hello great to be on the show
0: no, no, really good to have you on. I'm, I'm excited to get your views on this one as well. So this should be a fun show. Um, so let's have a, a little bit of an overview. Uh, if you wind the clock back, Mel, I'll start with you. Sort of um, five, maybe ten years ago, you know, especially five years ago, before all of these apps come along, what what were your choices if you wanted to get into buying shares?
3: Well, I think that you would have to um, maybe have a large bank looking after you. Um, you'd probably be wealthy in any case. And of course, you'd already probably either have a great deal of personal education around the subject or a wealth manager who was um, doing that for you for quite a high fee, I should say.
0: Indeed. And, and Adam, I guess this was um, sort of an insight when you were starting out, there were, there were robo advisors and there were online stockbroker platforms. But you know, what was the gap that you saw in the market that led to, hey, we should do this?
2: So you can tell from my accent, I'm not actually from the UK, I'm from Canada, but uh, there was kind of like a a 1.0 version of disruption to the stock market, to kind of stockbrokers back in the 90s, Uh, it's kind of late 90s, kind of like a bubble time, maybe we're back there now. Uh, (laughs) And they were really disruptive to commission levels that were like 100 pounds or more. Um, You could go and trade on your computer or your desktop with your, your giant um, monitor and all that. Anyways. So what I think what we're seeing now is just kind of 2.0 version of that. So when I came to the UK, uh, I was like five years ago, there was a nice new version, like uh, oligopoly 2.0 maybe of these stock brokers that are now the old guard uh, that got their start back in the '90s, uh, kind of e-trade for uh, American viewers, kind of like the same thing, um, and that's really what uh, what caused me to co- go after the space because I, I knew that they were just living off these ridiculously fat margins, and profit margins here in the UK. Uh, you got to understand that the incumbents are more profitable than, than Google and Facebook. They're just uh, they're raking it in at the expense of. Um, investors. Uh, and that, that's, that's really what motivated me. I didn't want to have to pay that tax.
0: Indeed. And I think that uh, that motivation is so key when you've got mobile cloud and you've got these tools that that really sort of change your cost structure, but also you, there are fat margins to play at, and you can make a real difference. Uh, Yannick, how about you? What was it that you know, kind of led to the insight that, that becomes public.com?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I, I kind of went the other way uh, across the pond, right? So I'm from uh, I'm from Denmark, and and are now in New York. And public is a, a U.S. broker dealer. Uh, so I guess we kind of uh, crossed ways over the middle there. Um, but to be honest, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's not too much kind of dissimilar, right? I, I think the U.S. Uh, went through the same kind of like whether it's Europe or the U.S. They went through like the same sort of 1.0 kind of brokerage walls, right? And now you've sort of had the had the 2.0s. Um, I think it's always been that as a user, you have historically belonged to one or two camps, right? You're either a very active trader who's like day trading and stuff, or you are more of a passive investor and you give your money to a Fidelity, maybe now a Wealthfront, which is like a very, very low engagement model, which also means that you don't necessarily learn anything. And I think one of the most interesting thing that uh, you've seen with the emergence of mobile, as well as Sear Commission, has been that um, there's emerging space uh, in the middle, which we actually think for the upcoming generation of investors is going to be the, the largest part of the market where you're not necessarily day trading, but you are uh, very actively engaged around your portfolio, which dramatically accelerates uh, the pace at which you really can build uh, some financial literacy and learn the ins and outs of investing.
0: And we'll come back to financial literacy later. But you said a few interesting things there, Yannick, that I that I want Mel to pick up on. There was the there's the zero fee piece, which was you know the real disruption that Robinhood came along with. And I guess um, that's quite different to the commission structures. Mel, do you want to just um, unpick the the zero fee and what that might mean for people to to a consumer from a product standpoint?
3: Yeah, I think it just um, democratizes the market a little bit more. It's easier to access different products. And I don't think it necessarily means that you're qualified to invest, but it does mean that it's much cheaper to invest and um, you have access to invest in a way that you didn't have before. So you can do your own research and you can make your own decisions um, and that sort of thing rather than having somebody hold your hand all the way through.
0: Indeed. It's interesting. Um, Yannick, I really like that um, sort of uh, barbell that you describe. Almost on the one side, it's extremely passive. And on the one side, it's like really, really sort of – and passive and active means a different thing in investing. But it's extremely sort of low-touch, and you never look at it. And on the other side, it's extremely high-touch and day-trading, and there's this middle space. Adam, do you think about things the same way? And do you think there is a a problem to be solved for the high-touch and maybe the people in the middle who wanted to learn and get educated that you were really playing to? And was, was zero fees a big part of that?
2: Yeah, I mean I think there's something to what Yannick was saying where that you know you have these two extremes and I think prior to maybe free trade in the UK, that kind of active day traders uh, was captured by the the leverage derivative products out there, uh, the so-called CFDs or spread betting, like it's like literally betting on prices of movements with your bookie. Um, what I think, though, to kind of reflect on that again, though, that the commissions, what was the commission level when, you know, we started free trade, it was about 12 pounds and the, the market leader in the UK still charges 12 pounds to, to buy a single stock. That is hugely kind of dis, distorting of uh, for someone that's just starting investing. So it, it massively impacts the behaviors of somebody that wants to just build a portfolio over time. You know, dollar cost averaging, you know, pound cost averaging. I have um, maybe a few hundred pounds at the end of the month. I'm going to top up my investment account every month. That behavior, which is what we're trying to optimize for in our product, uh, just wasn't wasn't possible before free trade came along, or when you know the incomes were charging 12 pounds. You can't. Who's going to pay 12 pounds if you only have 300 pounds to? invest. And even then, then you got to only put it in one thing, like Mm -hmm. maybe an ETF, you can't go and buy some stocks, like, say, you want to buy some Tesla. Um, It just doesn't make a lot of sense uh, to be down, you know, whatever it is, 5%, 10% right off the bat. So I I think that that um, by lowering that barrier uh, to investing, which is what the commissions really are, um, then you can have, you can behave as an investor the way that you want to, and probably you should. Uh, so I think it's hugely beneficial there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, you're alluding to some maybe some dangers around that. Uh, and, you know, you need to be conscious of that. Maybe we can discuss that later. But um, I think fundamentally, that's where it is. The commission's taking those down, opens up investing to a, a market that was previously shut out.
0: And I guess, as you say, if you're a first time investor and you just want to buy something you've heard of, which most people do, it's that thing that they've heard of that that they're kind of going for this, this additional barrier from the business model is one thing. But Yannick, how much do you think design played a role as well? Like the, the 90s style 2000 style web interface versus, you know, that looks like it's built for a trader versus modern mobile experience. There's a difference between those two things.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, it, it kind of goes hand in hand, right? I actually I started my career at, at Saxo Bank, um, where we also work with, with the trades of the world and whatnot, right? And I think it's it's not just the fact that a a, a minimum account, I think was like 10 grand US back then, right? So obviously, um, commissions, you have account minimums, and then I think you sort of have a, a third series of factors around just the user experience in general, right? Um, and I think that that kind of goes without saying but i think fundamentally you've seen um the the sort of the commission be away, like i said the the sort of the the no account minimums um and all that really was done in an effort to make things more accessible which i think is great that's phenomenal right but i don't think it's it's sort of um the end all be all i think the next phase will actually be about making it approachable and we talk a lot about those two terms Internally at public, at least, because we think they're actually wildly different, because just because you make financial services accessible doesn't mean that they're actually uh, approachable um, for people. right? And so the next wave will really be much more around um, making sure that people can kind of find their way in this new world to Adam's point that has been opened up to them through the the lowering of, of fees and account minimums and things of that nature.
0: It's one thing. I, I really like that distinction again of, of approachable versus accessible. You can use it versus um, you feel confident to use it and you know how to use it. And Mel, do you think there's a role for the difference between education and design here? Because um, the, there's a fine line between those two things, right? It, customers often don't want to be educated, but actually great design can do things like educate in an almost ambient way.
3: Yeah, I think so. Um And I also think that with design, there comes um, the desire to play as well. And I think with play comes education. So it's a self-learning cycle, really, that can be enabled with really elegant, attractive design of these different apps and services.
0: I love that idea, the desire to play. Um I was listening to a great podcast um on twenty minute VC, Rahul Vora, the CEO of Superhuman, talking about uh sort of building game uh mechanics into product in, in a really deep way and building toys and controls and not thinking about gamification, but actually game design applied to product. So I think that's a great point, Mel. Adam, you want us to jump in there?
2: Well, yeah, I think my take on, on the mobile design aspect of it, it's not so much um that these platforms like ourselves even are introducing revolutionary design into uh, investing. I think it's the fact that we're just building a product that's as good as all the other mobile products that you already use on your phone. That's, that, was the, that was the big difference. Um, and then when you go to the next level on that, um, so you're talking about gamification, what are you gamifying, and what are you? Tr- what kind of behavior are you trying to, you know, get out of the user or um, or uh, incentivize? I think that's where a lot of uh, other apps, maybe um, you know, one in particular in the news, uh, has gone down the road of gamifying and trying to get people's behavior in a way that's not in their best interest as investors, that's not gonna lead to better investment outcomes. That's not to say that you can't use gamification in a positive way, but um, there's there's a dark side to that as well.
3: Totally agree with you. Yeah, there definitely is a dark side, um, but I do think that um, the social elements of it. I mean, in um, in online games, you have a lot of um, correspondence between players and a lot of ability to learn. And I think that dissemination of information and education is a really important part of investing as well. And without Paying for somebody to do that for you and to advise you—it's uh, the responsibility of everybody who's investing to educate themselves, and the best way to do that is to listen to the experiences of the people in the platform around you.
2: Yeah, so that, that's another great example, though. Malware. Um, so having access to a community. So free trade. We have a we have a community where people talk about investing whatnot. Um, that is incredibly different than some ways uh, some brokers out in the world have taken it, where it's like copy trader, like superstar day trader, you're going to get rich if you copy him and this and that, which is, of course, complete bullshit. Um, And how do you not muddy those two things and still provide, you know, forum, a community, a way to discuss constructively and learn from each other, but not go to this extreme where it really is not beneficial and people think that they're maybe um, following some smart trader guy. And in fact, it's just uh, some pump and dump guy. I don't know, but.
1: I 100% agree. Uh, could not agree more to be honest, right? I think the the, the, the real insight that actually led to to us building public, um, because when we launched public, serial commission was, was already a thing. And so we were, uh, again, coming more from the lens of like, okay, you know, Serial Commission was actually, if you look at who that benefited the most as a movement, it was the people who were already trading quite heavily, right? Those mm-hmm. were just the people that would save more, right? If you're making 50 trades a day, you know, you you and, and you save 10 bucks per trade, you know, you're going to appreciate zero Commission more than the person who makes uh, one trade per quarter, so to say. Um, and so we were really looking more like, uh, that we actually thought the reason people who had not historically gotten involved in the stock market hadn't participated had less to do with fees and commissions and maybe more to do with just a general lack of financial literacy and we kind of break that down into even things like, you know, how much should I begin with? What does it mean to build a diversified portfolio? How do I even go about kind of doing that? And I think uh to Adam's kind of point, we obviously built then public as a as a social network, which means that we have we are basically the marriage between like a social network um, and a, a a stock brokerage. So we literally open in a feed where you can see sort of the investments people make. They they add sort of captions that, that that capture the thesis of why they're making those investments, et cetera. And for us, that really all came down to education, right? We really always saw, we talk about it as like the social education layer, because to Adam's point, I think when you have a community that educates itself, It becomes much more authentic. Uh, You have diversity of thought. You have so many things that you cannot necessarily have, right? And I think, and and again to his point, I think the way um, social has been touched upon historically in this industry has had nothing to do with diversity of thought. It's been coming from a point of influence, and and that's really not how we we see ourselves building out the sort of community and the social side of public. It's really much more focused on collaboration. I think so for that reason, we don't have the copy features and all that kind of stuff because we don't actually think it would serve. Yeah, the you
0: people. don't want to be copying the the pump and dump guys, as Adam says. You really want to be seeing what people are up to and understanding why they're doing what they're doing, and, and that multiplayer mode, as you say. I'm interested in sort of uh, what we lose if we've only got the community. Is there something gone from that human professional relationship? As have we have we lost something perhaps, Mel? And what what role would would the was the human playing in the old wealth space? I mean, humans are expensive, but have we lost something maybe
3: i think to be honest we've lost and gained something so in my opinion part of a wealth manager's job is to give you confidence in a buy and hold strategy and i think there is um, an allure to being in and out and in and out according to whatever is trendy or timely or you know fashionable in the moment um and of course actually the entry fees are probably um discouraging of people doing that in the first instance and so now there's this trend toward free trading there may be more of an incentive for people to uh, hop and jump and move their money around whereas before I think a wealth manager would have potentially conveyed a more mature potentially mature approach and um yeah I think that that could be what we've lost
0: Interesting. For most people, the best thing to do is to to average in. And I think um, it was it Yannick, you were saying that's that dollar averaging, or it might've been, uh, it might've been you, Adam, uh, which, you know, we probably do see those sensible strategies emerging um, before we go to break. I just want to give both of you guys that view. Do you, do you think we've lost anything and can community play that role in of filling the gap or how do we, how do we fill that gap?
2: Yeah. So I think for a, a financial advisor, if you have a financial advisor, uh, if, if you know any, they might say this as well. One of the, the great things that they can provide, though, is almost taking the stress of investing off of off of your back. Um, that's the, the value add that they provide. Uh, no, no financial advisor is really going to you know, pick some funds that is going to allow you to be a millionaire when you wouldn't have otherwise. They can help you avoid some pitfalls, some common pitfalls that you don't, maybe you don't know about. Um, and I think a financial advisor could provide value for people, but historically um, they haven't done enough maybe to justify their fees. And, you know, so Mel was talking about, Hey, maybe they're prevent you from going in and out too much or whatever. Um, well, a lot of the, why is that bad? Well, overtrading trading is, is generally a bad thing to do. Uh, A lot of that, though, is transaction fees. So if you eliminate the commissions, a lot of the the badness (laughs) related to that behavior is taken away. And actually in reality, most advisors are sticking you into actively managed funds. So it's just hiding that kind of toxic behavior, uh, or toxic to your investment return behavior, I should say, uh, and replacing that with a, a larger fee than you than you would have otherwise. So uh, I, I'm a fan of financial advisors, if they're putting you into kind of low fee passive funds, and maybe have a fixed uh, fee, and you know what you're paying for. Uh, otherwise, I think that they're uh, their,
0: their days are numbered. And, and of course, they weren't available to everybody. And to have a community that can potentially make that available to more people um, with just good advice is is, is is obviously really, really helpful. So uh, we're just going to take a quick pause here once we shamelessly plug a few things that 11FS has going on. So uh, bear with us and we'll be right back. Bank as a service is deconstructing the whole banking stack. It's enabling brands to embed finance much more easily and tailor financial products to specific customer needs. This is presenting new opportunities for specialized providers and offers banks extra revenue streams. Download our comprehensive, no BS view of what banking as a service is and what it means for the whole industry. Head to bit.ly forward slash banking as a service. That's bit.ly banking as a service, and it's all lowercase. Fintech Insider listeners, we need you. If you listen to the show, whether it's your first episode, your 450th, or if you just dip in and out, we'd love it if you could take a few minutes to give us your feedback and suggestions to help shape the future of the show. We want to know what you'd like, what you don't, and where we can improve. As we're listening we want to make this podcast for you our listeners better and better please please help us out take a moment and visit bit.ly forward slash survey that's bit.ly fintech insider survey and it shouldn't take you more than five minutes so whether you're on your mobile or you're at home whatever you're doing please please do check that out all righty on with the show all right and um, we are back with yannick mel and adam and this second part of the show really comes to that responsibility point that we were hinting at at the beginning of the show um really i, I just want to throw the question out where where does responsibility lay with consequences of easy access to some of these tools i mean yannick um we've unfortunately seen some um some tragic things happening um of the tragic suicide of alexander kearns for instance your know, robin Hood are making changes to their platform um what what can we do in this space? Is is there such thing as it being too easy to trade?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think you first have to really uh, differentiate between the different kind of levels of trading tools that are available to people. So um, you do have different financial products that have different kind of risk uh, or that are relevant for, for people uh, with different sort of risk appetites. And I think um, in the case of public, we... We really only offer um, shared trading and then fractional kind of trading, right? But we don't have leverage products. We don't have option trading, and things of that nature. Um, so I think I think there's maybe a couple of different conversations, right? I think there's one about which tools should be available for what kind of customers, and basically how do you perform KYC maybe in in the mobile era. And then I think secondly, I do think that the responsibility is something that um, actually. It it doesn't fall on any one kind of particular uh, entity, right? It, it's something that we should all kind of lift all together. Um, I think everybody plays their part, but obviously, as the investment apps, we sit right at the center of it, and we are maybe in the most in a position to kind of make the most impact on that. Um, we've always approached this from the beginning as something where not only is it kind of the right thing to do, it's just a good business decision too, right? Because at the end of the day, nine out of ten people on public are basically new to investing they either have no experience a very limited experience and so uh, we're really in this kind of for the for the long haul and so we don't want people to come in and have the first couple of investments uh, be something where they really get burned right and so we've rolled out different things like um, something we call safety labels where we kind of show you um, what the market cap is if it's under a certain thing if you're getting into something like a penny stock we also kind of inform you on that up front so just to we, we, we've done a number of things to just add some guardrails because we know that a lot of our users are really new to investing in the stock market. And um, there's a responsibility there that we take really seriously to make sure that they sort of get off to a good start.
0: Adam, where do you stand on like what products should be available? And I think the second point, then how you how you manage that from a user perspective?
2: Well, I think we, we can just look at the last uh, few decades. And if you leave it to a free-for-all, the uh, more unsavory uh, firms in the financial world will take advantage. Uh, and if you go and talk to the so-called men on the street here in London, if there's anyone around, uh, and ask them you know what they think of investing in the stock market, um, unfortunately, a lot of people equate investing in shares in the stock market with gambling and being really risky behavior. And uh, I think that that's because there's an kind of obfuscation of the kind of investing aspect of it, buying into companies that have long term um, profit potential, uh, increase in value versus this trading, day trading. Uh, get rich quick kind of thing. And that's that's only the first step. The next step, of course, is then uh, leveraging up the trade so that you can lose more than you invest. And you see all these horrible examples of people that are pushed into the products that are clearly not <laughs> clearly not, you know, appropriate for them. And they're, they're done by salespeople that are just, uh, you know, looking to fleece them. And uh, it's unfortunate, uh, you know, you see that in other areas of uh, finance, of course, and I think it's up to the regulator uh, and to make sure that these rules are enforced so that you, you don't have uh, these firms mixing the two up, uh, which unfortunately is, is still happening in the UK right now.
1: Yeah, I think it's happening in the US as well, right? I think uh, it was funny. The Wall Street Journal, I think, had an article that says everyone's a day trader now. And then uh, there's one guy, I forgot his name. He really deserves a plug here because it's phenomenal. He wrote an opinion piece. It's like, yes, everyone's a day trader, but not for long, right? Mm -hmm. Because what does the statistics show? If you stay in that game, practically nobody really uh, makes it out with profit, right? It's a high-churn kind of thing. And I think um, that really goes back to like, you know, we want to make sure that people understand uh, sound investing principles and that they learn how to really invest and not just trade, right? Um, And that might be slightly harder. It it requires definitely more education. People don't want to sit and spend four hours on Investopedia every night. And so that just comes back to the the sort of how do you design a value proposition that can facilitate that, i.e., Community, you know, design and social, and and basically learning things, and like a bite in a more bite-sized manner in a form factor you're kind of more familiar with versus having to go and do all this kind of daunting research just to get involved in the first place.
2: Yeah, and I think so for us, like a free trade, right? So our our north star at, at, at our company when we're thinking about the product and pretty much anything is the investment outcome for our customers. And if you focus on that, I think, um, then you're going to get to the, the right place for the product, for your customers, and everybody's going to do well. Um, then you have, you know, here in the UK, CFDs. Um, in the States, there are options. What we're talking about is leveraged derivative products. It is known in the industry. Everybody knows it. The vast majority of people that are going to touch this product are going to lose money. They're going to lose their shirt. You go on any of the websites for any of these CFD companies, they have to in the UK and in Europe now, I think in other European countries too, display like a health warning, like cigarette packages. Eighty percent of our customers lose money on this product um, and they, they're required to do that and they, they still kind of mix up those two products. OK, we'll, we'll get you in with uh, some commission free investing. And then try and cross-sell you into this leverage derivative product that I know is going to destroy your returns and maybe turn you off investing for the next 30 years. But it's going to make me a lot of money, and that's that's what we're that's what we're facing in the market right now. And it's it's really discouraging to see um, kind of market leaders, especially in the U.S., go down that path of, where you know Robinhood, for example, is essentially you know a leveraged derivatives product now. That's what they are. Um, any kind of nonsense about them being like an investing or anything else. Uh, you can just look at the little Wall Street Journal article that, you know, Yannick was talking about uh, New York times has written about it. Everyone's writing about it now because they have to disclose it, but that's essentially what they've become. And that uh, kind of goes back to our point at the beginning of this Mel, right? It's like, um, what, what do you optimize for in your product? Right. Are you, are you trying to optimize for trading because that, creates more flow and that gives you more revenue and that's exactly what's happened. And then you go down that path. How do we optimize for even more and more trading and more trading and more trading? And you end up with Robinhood. Uh,
3: Robin hood. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also think that um, we have to have some knowledge around why people are wanting to invest in the first place as well, because um, you know, who are those people that are wanting to buy those uh, big Scary products and what what's their reason for wanting to get in there? Is it because they believe that it's a get rich quick strategy? Is it a hobby? Is it actually, you know, a disguised gambling habit that they have? Um, I think that is you know, the real challenge to digital wealth management and investing, actually, it's to try and eat away at those negative connotations and find products that are suitable to the customer's circumstance, including, you know, their holistic wealth strategy and um, so that they can understand their overall risk as well, because it's not just, you know, using uh, investing as a, a proxy for saving. I think you have to you have to understand what your overall plan is um and it just speaks to me that those big scary products i mean i don't know who they're for maybe maybe you can tell <laughs> tell me who they're for
0: but I think that's that's a really good point, Mel, is that the the kind of the good advice on how to save and invest hasn't really changed in in 100 years or more. I mean, it's it's sort of uh, the, the stuff that everybody repeats about set up your rainy day. F- I've even seen a really nice flow chart on it. It's like set up your rainy day fund, have a few months salary and po- blah, 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 all the way down to then the savings, then the investment, then the house deposit. Like that flow chart is fairly well known, but yet it still baffles most people. Most people don't know what compounding is. I think it's but boring
3: I- though, isn't it? I don't think people... Want to know exactly,
0: exactly, and so this was going to be my point, Yannick, which is how do you find that balance of sort of bringing people up the education curve? You guys have gone towards social for that, but uh, you know, what's the goal of the user and how do you align what you're doing to their goal? Because they'll pick up tools and they'll figure stuff out if you can turn it into a like path and an objective that they're trying to get to,
1: yeah, 100%. So, I think the main problem that everybody's touching upon here is, um it's actually in in acquisition, right? Because what most apps just do is they acquire the lowest hanging fruits, i.e. the early adopters. And the early adopters tend to have a super high risk tolerance and be very, very sort of susceptible to just day trading as much as they can very quickly, right? And I think the reality is if you want to build something something that that's not that, you just have to take the longer, kind of harder uh, route around that, right? We... We recently did a survey with, with Finemise actually around our, our user base and found that 74% of all our users are long-term investors, less than 2% are speculative. And that really is something that has to do with not just how you how you design the product. we built different things. We have something called long-term portfolio. We like group the positions that you really believe in for the long run Then you could post about that, right? So it also becomes how you design your features to make sure that they sort of mm. amplify and Frankly, um, how you make it fun to actually do long-term investing—that was kind of where we came from with designing out that feature, right? But it's also about how you grow, right? If you basically just grow, go to all the communities where you know a bunch of day traders all hanging out, and say, "Come, come, kind of try my product," and then, then then you know that that will be your user base very quickly, and then those will be the people that you'll have to to build features for. To kind of keep your customers happy, which we obviously also all want to do, right? And so, and then you are kind of stuck in, in that predicament. So, I do think I do think there is fundamentally on a tactical note. I do think that there is two aspects to it. One is sort of on the on the growth and acquisition side, top of funnel, and then the other thing is actually how do you uh, really design the product. And to Adam's point, what are you optimizing for, and what are the things that you really um, make stand out in your product?
0: Who are you acquiring and then what are they doing once they're in? Um, and, and what's the what's the what's the game that you lay out in front of them to play because they'll they'll kind of start doing that and they are be educating themselves and learning different skills as, as they go all the way from the like the first level of the video game is like here are the buttons you have to press the first time you go into an app, it's the tour around it. It's, mm-hmm. it's really that sort of thing.
1: Exactly. But I also think um, if you look at where we are now at this moment in time, you know, up until, at least in the US, before you really had fractional investing alongside SEER Commission, you couldn't really do dollar cost averaging, right? It's really mm-hmm. hard to dollar cost average with a $500 account and you want to buy Amazon and Tesla and whatnot, right? And so I really think that the opportunity is ahead of us. And, and I think um, a lot of the folks in the, that's been in the space historically maybe had just haven't really innovated to the point that they actually have a product that can facilitate a sound and sort of reasonable uh, way of investing, right? And um, I do think we have that now. And so that sort of makes me hopefully optimistic about kind of where, where we go from
0: here. If you look at the younger generations, they don't have the cash available that previous generations had had. They're looking like they're going to be homeowners later in life. And so they can't dollar cost average when the average share is much higher from a dollar cost average standpoint. So they can't follow the good advice. I think that's um, hugely, hugely insightful. And uh, there's potentially a bunch of the former wealth managers out there for, for whom that worked for when the crowd was 30 something, but now a 30 something maybe maybe can't do it and is used to mobile design that's completely different. I think as it brings us neatly to to the, the, the end of this section, but I want to just take a slight change of gear slightly and talk about, you know, what you've seen since the beginning of the onset of the pandemic. I mean, you know, it's changed behavior fundamentally. Adam, what are your, what are your observations as you look at your own customers? What are you guys seeing?
2: So the big thing I think was it spurred a lot of people that were already even customers. Uh, to really focus on how much can I put into the market um, and how much can I invest right now because this is a generational opportunity. I've been waiting around for 10 years and the market just keeps going like this, 30% down. And we So we saw like a massive surge, even just from our existing customers of saying, you know, screw it, I have five grand in my bank account. I'm putting that into my brokerage account and I'm going to wait and then have a view on actually you know i i'm i've got a long term horizon this is a great buying opportunity so we saw our cash per percentage of our total aua assets under administration peaked at like 20 something 28% or something end of march and it's come back way down to like uh, about 10% now and people were kind of timing the market a bit something you you try and tell people not to do but it was just it really was just like this uh, kind of generational event, um, and we're I think today we're back up at uh, all time highs for the S and P 500. I believe uh, it touched uh, intraday today. I, I think, um, and if you have that, if you have that long term horizon, I think that it's a it's a no regret move. It's a no regret move to put uh, be fully invested into the stock market. Um, in terms of like individual names, of course, uh, you know we we see our our customer base is. You know average age 30, so you can imagine um, kind of their, the demographic there, and they're hugely over invested in certain sectors of, uh, of the economy. And those are ones that have performed really, really well in the stock market recently. The, I mean, like the, the flag bearer, of course, is, is Tesla, um, mm-hmm. but other other green energy companies, um, uh, electric car companies is, as a sector right now is going, going a bit bonanza. Uh, bananas, sorry. Um, but, but yeah, that's, that's what they're investing. And in. they're investing in companies that they think are the future and still over 50% of our assets under administration are sitting in passive ETFs as well. So the core, mm. the core of your portfolio still for, if we're, if we're going to, you know, say only one average uh, free trade customer is in passive ETFs, low fee stuff. And then they're taking some views on, uh, on usually, you know, tech stocks, um, green energy, that kind of stuff, and uh, and then recently also gold, um, which mm. I mean, I have a lot of gold myself. Is it's pretty obvious um, that there might be something there mm. with the uh, with the money printer and all that.
0: Yeah, when when lots of dollars are printed, um, Yannick, what are your thoughts on on what you've seen in the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I think it's been very similar, right? Even down to kind of how people lay out their portfolios. It's funny. I don't think you've ever had urgency to buy an ETF before, <laughs> right? And I think that suddenly became a thing. And so I think that that is kind of a little bit what Adam is talking about. But I think, I think more than that, and also just not to repeat what he's saying, because I think across the board, everybody kind of saw the same thing. Um, we actually saw engagement in the app go and social conversations and dialogue and all those things uh grow at a much faster pace than even even you know new customers added or uh, deposits or new investments um, or any of those other metrics and it was so obvious and and again the our community kind of makes it fairly transparent you you can if you're in the US you can log in and you can see exactly what people are talking about and there was this moment of like what on earth is going on here mm-hmm. and let's 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 have a lot of dialogue because you need that like when when uncertainty is high, that's more than ever when you need dialogue to really figure out what's actually going on. Um, so we, we, we accelerate a couple of things on our roadmap. Like we rolled out check rooms, which has been really great because people can then have more real-time conversations about what's actually going on. And I think to this day, they still can, right? Because I think the reality is we've been entering a maybe unprecedented kind of era for the stock market where you know, a lot of the things you used to look for uh, in, in terms of evaluating companies and the market as a whole like now, you have a bunch of other variables in that equation, and and it's a little bit of, it's a little bit of a new territory, so to say. Um, and so I think it's um, that's that's been the main takeaway for us that there's just been like yes, there's been urgency to get involved in the stock market, but the, there's also been a much larger sort of hunger to become educated and find mm-hmm. out what's actually going on here.
0: That's surprising insight, isn't it, Mel, that the hunger for education that's really there. Um, Mel, do you think there's also something just about the nature of people not commuting or anything else?
3: Oh, for sure. Yeah, I think people have a lot more time on their hands. And, um, you know, I, I think that um, the volatility of the market and sitting at home watching the news, um, I mean, people might have a passive interest in the stock market or the financial news channels. And now it's everywhere. And it's the most exciting thing. I mean, other than obviously horrible other horrible things that are happening it's the most um I guess escapism factor thing that that one can do at the moment really um I know a lot of people that have personally tried it for the first time um and a friend over in australia uh who's she's been in quarantine for about eight weeks and um yeah she said that she's been making a lot of money um Mm. so (laughs) good for her I'm i'm really glad for her i do think though that um maybe people are turning towards investing because there's an underlying fear of job stability and this um I guess, thought that you might need to diversify your income and become educated in different areas and use the wealth that you do have or the savings that you do have to maximum advantage. So I guess we'll see what happens there.
0: We will. Um, I'm interested. Um, we, we've we definitely seen that uh increase in responsibility as as a thread through this we saw some of the challenger banks introduce things like gambling blocks earlier in the year and and last year in the UK and and that responsibility thing is going to be really key because I think the SEC said something like it's not been since the 1930s has anybody uh, has the retail market been as involved in the stock market and of course we know what happened in the 1930s Mel
3: well yeah absolutely I mean yeah it all kind of went badly wrong I do think, though, that there's some exciting things happening in other sides of the market as well, so not just in um, digital wealth management, but um, you know, companies that are creating their own ETFs. Um, so there's one in London called um, Han ETF, and I know, for example, that they've got a new um, cannabis or CBD oil e- ETF that's doing really well, and they've got another one as well. I think it's around, um, like... I don't know the word for it, but it's around Zoom and, um, telecon- mm-hmm. you know, teleconferencing ETF. It's.
0: People are building interesting financial products at this mm. time as a result of how the market's changing. We should remind listeners, of course, um, uh, Mel and Adam both name check some things. Always do your own research. This isn't investment advice. Um, but what I would say is, though, as we look at that, uh, Yannick, what are you seeing in the next sort of um, three, six, 12 months, if, if it is even possible to have a crystal ball in, in quote unquote unprecedented, unprecedented times? Uh, where, where do we go next with uh, the future of digital and, and, and investing and savings?
1: Well, like, like I said, I, I think it's the way we look at it is, you know, technically these products are accessible to all people now, and so the next way is really has to be about making them approachable, and that's kind of the the drum that we that we that we keep beating. But but what we we just believe that to really be the truth because I think it is. a I mean, we all obviously are interested in greater participation in the stock market. Otherwise, we we obviously wouldn't be here. But I think we are also. Just wants to make sure that it happen, happens in the best way possible, that we, we actually have our customers' best interests at heart and, and that we can build sort of sustainable kind of companies that, that truly gets uh, the next generation of investors invested in the market, get them learning and and, and not just kind of day trading and, and sort of doing this
2: kind of gambling behavior.
0: Indeed. Uh, Adam, what, what do you think comes next? Are we we got the responsibility balance right?
2: Yeah, I think for us you know we started as a utility uh, to allow people to access something that was previously kind of walled to them um, and through that journey so far the number one thing people are asking for is is education um, some more help around that and we really that's what we're prioritizing on our products um, and features so you know next month, You'll see some pretty cool stuff around uh, understanding your own portfolio. What return did I receive? Was that return better than if I had just invested passively instead of choosing some stocks myself? Um, And then what risk did I take to achieve those returns? And did I take more risk or less risk than the passive market? These are fundamental questions that almost no product answers. Um, you'll see that wow. in the free trade app very soon, uh, and then we'll—you you might know—we're—we're um, we're rolling it right now. Our premium offering, our free trade uh, plus, but those fundamental features are always going to be in the free product. We'll—we'll we'll add some more insights and more analysis for uh, maybe premium users, more power users, but. Like there's there's really fundamental investment concepts that most people just aren't even aware of. They're not complex they just haven't um, they haven't been taught them uh, whether that's through their parents the, or- they're out
0: there and they're known and they've not necessarily been placed in it right in front of them with with great design um, Mel, we've only got a couple of minutes left but do you think the incumbents are going to try and copy what we're seeing in the mobile space Are the banks going to do it are the, are the uh, sort of uh, traditional brokers going to do this stuff and uh, what do you think we can learn from them if they do?
3: The American 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 well I think that uh, to be honest they'd have a bit of a they'd have a bit of a job or ways to catch up um, but I do think that if they can do something to support the fintech companies that are already trying to do this that would be much better for them and I also think that we've got a bit of a liquidity problem as well especially here in the UK if people are putting their excess cash and tying it up in investments then if they do lose their job or if something else happens in their lives it would be much better to have a supporting service from our large banks rather than them trying to compete with um the digital wealth management companies who quite frankly are going to do it better
0: interesting um thought for you yannick um are, are you concerned about copycats and what advice have you got if somebody is trying to build stuff that that is for the benefit of users on the on the investment side
1: um yeah there, there will always be people that what is a steve jobs a great artist copy good artist copy great artist steal something like that um
0: And he was quoting Pablo Picasso in the process. He was.
1: Yeah, that's very (laughs) true. Uh, Good call. But hey, I think the stuff will always kind of be around. Uh, We're not too focused on that. But I do think Mill makes a very good point of like um, in the US, obviously, you keep seeing kind of stimulus checks being mailed out and whatnot. That's how you quote unquote solve the liquidity problem, although not sure about the longevity of that solution. Um, But I do think one of the biggest kind of risk factors, frankly, in uh, on this mission that we're on is basically if um, if people felt like they suddenly had to pull money out of the market rather than kind of leaving it in there for the long term, and um, and there's definitely um, and and that's maybe an area where the banks could uh, sort of play a, a bigger role. I, I think that's sort of a very true point, probably in the UK as well as in the US.
0: Indeed, and Adam, the banks have seen a flight of deposits, um, but they they may be struggling to lend. Is is this an area that they could be looking at? And what advice do you have if they are?
2: Uh, sorry. Do you mean um, should the banks be looking to offer investing services, savings and
0: investment? Should they be should they be moving in this direction, or should they be partnering with folks like yourselves?
2: Well, I think that they all. I, I can't imagine that you could go into a bank branch where they don't offer these services um, or ability to invest, in them they're just extremely expensive and disadvantage their clients from uh, the moment they walk in. Um, and uh, so, so yeah, no. I, and I think if you're if you're thinking well. Should RBS go and create a um, a free trade equivalent? I, I think we've been there and done that with uh, challenger banks, and uh, I mean, Simon, you probably have more insight on it than me, but uh, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's uh, I think that's a terrible strategy. Um, I think mm-hmm. that uh, if they they there's definitely room for them to partner with. Um, with the likes of, uh, maybe partner, uh, public.com or, or free trade, um, and offer a better
0: mm-hmm. service. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually that, that best of all worlds kind of then maybe hopefully plays out. We can, but hope, um, Adam, that people, people, um, get those partnerships and get the infrastructure in place inside their organization to do it. Um, we are pushed against time. Uh, this has been a phenomenal discussion. Thanks all. So much for, for joining and being involved. Uh, just uh, before we go, where can people find out more about what you're up to? Uh, let's start with you, Yannick. Uh,
1: well, they can go to public.com uh, slash Yannick and uh, see my see my investment portfolio uh, and DM on the app. If they're in the US, otherwise they can go on Twitter at twitter.com slash public or twitter.com slash mauling, which is my, my last name and, and connect there.
0: Thank you very much. Adam, how about you?
2: We're at Free Trade on social, uh, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I think we have something on Facebook too. Uh, and mm-hmm. Free Trade.io. You never know the
0: Facebook name. <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, Free Trade.io slash community. Uh, that's where the discussion is.
0: Brilliant. Mel.
3: Well, naturally, you can reach me through 11FS. And also, I'm on LinkedIn and I'm on Twitter sporadically under melissa.forex
0: let's check it out all right um you can find me at sy taylor on twitter uh, simon taylor on linkedin or just check out 11fs.com thank you for listening if you like what you heard please please do hit that subscribe button and don't forget to leave us a review. It helps us out so much, and it helps others find the show. Uh, speaking of making the show better, don't forget to give us your thoughts on our super quick survey, bit.ly forward slash survey. As always, if you want to join in the conversation, find us on social media, uh, look for 11FS or Fintech Insider. And if you've got any feedback, email podcast at 11FS.com. Uh, that's all for now. Goodbye.